It's said that your real life begins where your comfort zone ends. Well, it's about to get real as we have radically authentic conversations to help you thrive in your personal and professional life while navigating the twists and turns of being human. Buckle up, because this might get uncomfortable. Starts right now with Whitney Lordson. I have so much to share today, and this episode will likely be a little bit all over the place. I have definitely felt like my brain is operating in some fascinating ways. I want to share that with you. I'm going to talk probably a little about my upcoming road trip again, just in more general concepts, updates on how that's going. And I have some things I want to share that have been challenging and, and how I've been working through them. Some notes from my well-being coaching training and likely some other topics that are uh, <laughs> going to pop up along the way. I'm going to pause here for a moment before we get back into the conversation to thank Athletic Greens for sponsoring the show. As I was thinking about how to incorporate it, I kept coming back to how simple it feels to take something like this that's an all-in-one. It's a green powder with 75 vitamins, minerals, whole food sourced ingredients, probiotics, and adaptogens. So you can just get off the day on a good track, support your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, all of these things that are so important to helping us when we're feeling stressed, when we're feeling overwhelmed. For me, this makes a big difference because I can just put some in a bottle of water and know that I'm taking good care of my body. It's been so wonderful at home. I take it when I'm traveling. I love the taste of it. It's really great if I just want a quick green juice and it costs less than $3 a day. So it's been so wonderful to have. And I'm excited to pass on to you a free travel pack of five small sizes of AG1, this powder I've been talking about, plus a free one-year supply of their immune-supporting vitamin D, which I also take every single day. If you'd like to take advantage of that, visit athleticgreens.com slash wellevator. That's athleticgreens.com slash W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R. That'll be in the show notes and in the description of the episode to make it really easy for you to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Okay. So where do I begin? Well, I'll start with my trip because that influences a lot of how I'm feeling today. I'm amazed at how challenging it has been for me to make this trip, get this trip in motion, I suppose, pun intended, (laughs) maybe, I don't know. Last night, I felt a lot of pressure. It was a Sunday night. Today is Monday, August 1st, and I don't have a ton of time until I leave town. I have a bunch of people, more and more, I've been kind of adding up that I'm planning to see and they're waiting for my schedule. We have to figure out the timing. I have campgrounds to book. And I think that I've just been procrastinating this because it feels overwhelming. And as I mentioned before, with with my recent trips, 
it has been hard for my brain to like sit down and focus on this. I also have some other things I've been putting off, like getting my taxes taken care of. And I've always been, or as far back as I can remember, been somebody who procrastinates through overwhelm. My sister's a lot like this too. And I believe that my sister has undiagnosed ADHD. And so also from what I've read, this type of 11th hour work that I've had definitely since college is a common trait of ADHD. And knowing that possibility, considering I haven't had a formal diagnosis yet, has actually been helpful because instead of feeling shame around this, beating myself up, allowing other people's perspectives, like my parents would often feel very frustrated with me. Teachers used to feel frustrated. I spent so much time thinking that there was something wrong with me. I was bad. I was lazy because I couldn't get things done in a timely manner. Even though I have embraced this and found more grace for myself, it's still tough because I have a tendency to not want to let other people down. That's probably going to be a big theme in this episode. And so this pressure to make things happen, some of the things are time sensitive, like booking a campground because they can book up fast. But other things like my friends, you know, I don't want them to make other plans, you know, or I don't want to hold them back from making other plans. I want to make sure that we have a good time together. And it's amazing how I'm, I'm planning out a trip that's going to take me about two and a half weeks to get across the country from Los Angeles to Massachusetts. I'm going up to the northwest part of the United States first, and then I'll be on the East Coast doing a variety of of things and then heading back. And I feel like the pressure of all of that time building up for me. Oftentimes at the end of a weekend, I feel very productive because Monday, even though I don't work a super traditional work structure, Monday still feels like a brand new start to the work week. And so last night I was wrapping up some things for clients and really trying to get some planning done. And I remember being faced with the decision to either go to bed or to stay up a little bit longer. And I chose the latter, even though I've actually bumped my sleep schedule to be waking up much earlier than usual. If you didn't know this about me, I if I can, if I have my day structured in this way, I will wake up at 10 a.m. Pacific time, uh, which is sometimes challenging, but I'm able to do it a good amount of time throughout the year. But when I travel, I like to get up at 6 a.m. because I like to wake up with the sun. I like to get a good start in the morning. So I've been training my body and prepping my body to get up early. And I set my alarm at 7.45 a.m. And I stayed up until about at least 3.30 a.m. And I was just in this hyper-focus mode of working on the trip. So I probably spent three to four hours just like looking at every single detail, researching things. I mean, the number of cross-reference research that I do is interesting. And I know that A lot of people, if not most people's brains don't work that way. And this has also been part of my journey for recognizing my neurodivergences because when I tell most people that I do things like this, they're very perplexed. First of all, like staying up that late, most people that I meet do not do that. 
that should have been a huge signal to me that my brain worked differently because it's, it's just like anecdotally it, within my conversations, extremely rare that I meet people like that. And oftentimes it makes me feel like an outcast. You know how some people feel happy to have big differences between themselves and others, like that kind of makes them feel special. I would say that's pretty minimal for me. For the most part, things like this about myself make me feel like I'm weird. Something's wrong. I need to change. But through recognizing how this ties into neurodivergence, it has made me feel like, what if that's just the way I am? As I talked about in last week's solo episode, the striving to live the life on my own terms versus trying to shape it around what I think other people want me to do. So, I mean, I really enjoy hyper-focusing on things and spending hours and hours on them, but it's hard for me at the same time, especially when I'm feeling really tired and then knowing the ripple effect that that was going to have on me today leading up to this very moment. I feel like my brain is functioning very differently today than it normally would A huge part of that is because I feel sleep deprived. I probably got three or four hours of sleep. I also had a sleep episode. Again, if you didn't know this about me, I have sleepwalking, sleep talking tendencies, and I don't keep super close track of it. Haven't been recently, but last night was definitely on the more extreme side, and and it's often triggered by not getting a lot of sleep and feeling stressed and anxious. So it was like the perfect storm last night for me. And I just wonder like, what does that do to my brain? You know, like these episodes in which I shoot out of bed and I'm yelling and I'm panicked and I'm in this state of like fight or flight. I hope one day I can get to the bottom of that. It's interesting because Today, a few hours ago, I recorded with a podcast guest named Alexandra. Her episode comes out, let's see, in relation to this one. Oh, this week. Okay, so this Friday, you're going to hear from Alexandra, and I just recorded with her. And one of my biggest takeaways that you're going to learn is when I had talked to her about martial arts, which ended up being this interesting theme, even though the episode was not meant to be about martial arts. I thought maybe we would talk about it for five minutes, but it just kept coming up throughout the episode, likely because of her history, but also my interest in it. And I told her that I would like to hold myself accountable and prioritize martial arts training for myself. It's been a goal of mine for probably the past year or so because of travel, but I haven't prioritized it. I think I got overwhelmed researching it, trying to find the right place to go. Then I wanted to budget for it. And it just wasn't a big financial priority for me. But after that conversation, it started to come back up and feel something I really want to do probably as soon as I get back from this next trip. So I was talking with her about how I was planning on researching it. And she said, if you do that research tonight, even if it's just 15 to 30 minutes of this research, it's going to get you into motion versus if you put it off just a few days, then you might continue to put it off over and over again. And she's probably right. And having that accountability of someone else saying that to me, even if she will not follow up with me, just that knowing that I don't want to let her down energetically has inspired me. And hopefully I have the 
mental and physical energy to actually research it. But the challenge that she doesn't know is I will likely not just spend 15 minutes on that. Most research that I do tends to be 30 minutes, an hour very easily. That's another thing that I struggle a lot with. And this I think is more common, which is time challenges. I tend to to try to time block. I have a to-do list. I, I aim to get things done by a certain, a certain amount of times. I even estimate how long each task is going to take me. But more often than not, it ends up taking me two, three, four times as long, if not more. And I think that's just also the way my brain works. It's just it's either getting easily distracted and switching things or like I can jump from thing to thing to thing, multitask, dip my toes into all sorts of stuff, but I can also hyper fixate on something and that's all I can pay attention to. And I start to feel like stressed if anything else comes up for me. And that's combination makes a lot of things really hard for me to accomplish and very exhausting and stressful. But what's interesting is I wonder if any of that needs to change. This is something that I'm learning a lot as I go through my coaching training. I'm looking at my coaching psychology manual, which I'm reading as part of a emotional well-being coaching training program that I'm doing to become certified as an emotional well-being coach. One of the biggest takeaways in what I've learned from this program thus far is acceptance and compassion. And I'm learning that in terms of being a coach, but I'm simultaneously learning that in terms of my self-care, self-awareness, self-compassion. And along with that compassion, the training encourages you not to try to fix anything. And that might be one of the greatest lessons I could learn in my life right now. And something I wish I had learned much earlier because I've approached so much of life from this fixer mentality. I find comfort and security in fixing things and problem solving. I'm drawn to it. That's probably one of the reasons that I've been drawn to being a coach because I want to help and support. But now that I'm seeing that coaching, at least in the philosophy of this training program, is best when you're just there to listen and provide emotional support and a, a psychologically safe container for somebody to share things and come to their own conclusions. You're not there as a coach to give expertise or to try to fix someone. And in fact, one of the sections I just read today, right before recording this, articulated that really well. Let's see here. So much reading to do. There's a section in here that we were that focuses on assessments. And this is something I plan to do in my private community Beyond Measure. If you didn't know about this, I started this about two years ago. And it came out of my desire to have a psychologically safe. Is it psychologically safe? I think so doesn't seem right in this moment, but a safe place emotionally for people to gather, to connect with each other, to interact with me and meet other new people and really explore themselves, tap into their self-awareness. Every time I go through 
my coaching training, I'm thinking about beyond measure and I'm like, Ooh, we could do this. And how could I improve it this way? One thing in beyond measure that most of the participants seem to enjoy is assessments and activities and something that gets you to think. So there was a whole section about this in my coaching book, which really lit me up. And I learned there's like 12 or no, there's like close to 15 different assessments. So if you're interested in things like that, for instance, if you've ever done the Myers-Briggs assessments, I think that's one of the most well-known, but most of these I had never heard of before. So there's a ton more. If you want to take any, I'm planning to do some of these in Beyond Measure. I'll link to it in the show notes of this episode if you want to look into that. And the show notes are at wellevator.com, W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com in the resource section of this episode. But I bring this up because there was this one line here that really struck me. I'm going to go through a few different parts and see if I can find that exact line I'm thinking about. One is that according to this manual, clients, as in coaching clients, grow through trial and correction, not trial and error. I don't really love that word correction, though. So taking that out of context, I hope I'm not misunderstanding that. The encouragement here in order to further understand someone is to be curious and have open, inviting, judgment-free, playful exploration. For instance, one thing I'm learning here is instead of asking a lot of why questions, which could feel really analytical and sometimes trigger someone to feel challenged or judged, you can ask them open-ended things like, tell me more about this. Now, a why could still be very open-ended, but I like the tell me more phrasing. It's inviting someone in as opposed to putting them into this place of thinking that they need to change. Maybe this was the line that I was thinking of. Clients are used to taking assessments that have the intention of revealing flaws that need to be fixed. It is refreshing when assessments are used to reveal strengths that need to be reinforced. That seems right. I really resonated with this idea of revealing our strengths versus revealing our opportunities or our flaws. I think we tend to focus so much on that society does. And so we internalize that, at least I have in so many ways. And what if instead of saying, oh, I'm sleepwalking, let's fix that. It'd be nice to fix it, to be honest. (laughs) It's frustrating. And I don't think it's great for my health. It's sometimes even dangerous. I did a whole episode on sleepwalking a few weeks or a few months ago. But I don't necessarily have to fix it. Maybe I can understand it. And maybe through that understanding, it kind of naturally fixes itself. And the same thing can be said about procrastination. I spent so much of my life trying to stop being a procrastinator. But what if instead I tried to understand and saw where the strengths are in that? I mean, hyper-focusing last minute at that 11th hour, I get a lot done. I felt so accomplished, even though I was up really late and even though it had this ripple effect of not making me feel so good, and that's probably going to impact me throughout the week. Do I want those results? No, but there also are the benefits of what I accomplished through hyperfixating and procrastinating until literally 
right before I needed to go to bed as I typically do. So that's where I started to restructure my day. And that's how I started to allow myself to get up at 10 a.m. because my brain really enjoys working after midnight. I've known that about myself for a long time, but I tried to fix it and I never really could. So that acceptance and that self-compassion have really been helpful. Now, it's not fully easy. And I want to share, as I mentioned, some other challenges specifically that I've had. One is that it's it's tough for me to fully be myself and share things about myself. I get insecure while recording these episodes. I'm afraid that I confuse people or bore them or they can't follow my train of thought or I have insecurity about sounding like I'm just talking about myself and it's just self-indulgent. You know, there are all these little fears that come up for me. But when I come back to myself and say, this is the natural expression of who I am right now. And if I can allow myself to just show up as I am on this podcast, for instance, it doesn't matter if some people don't like it. And I've said this many times before, but I have to constantly remind myself that I don't need to please everybody. I don't need everybody to like me. And in fact, not everybody does. And that's okay. I also think I've said in the past, but probably not super recently, that the phrase, it's okay, is one of the most comforting things for me to hear, even when I say it out loud. That came up in in the coaching too, in one of our classes, I think I wrote this down, and it feels like it's been this ongoing theme. It, it did come up in the episode with Coach Lee Hopkins, if you haven't listened to that yet. So beautiful, this wonderful conversation about friendship, but fully embracing yourself and also being okay with being problematic or being perceived as problematic. That was a great lesson from, from him. But in my coaching program, it might have been this last one. What This is a great line. I forget who said it. It was one of my teachers who said, you're the expert if you're alive. And out of context, I don't remember what that was related to, but it's a really interesting line to ponder. Because meaning like in my interpretation, you're the expert of yourself. If you're still alive, you know yourself best. But many of us, if not most of us, have been trained to look outside of ourselves, to focus on the external. And so it's very easy and tempting to feel insecure and not good enough and doing the wrong thing, ashamed, guilty, embarrassed, on and on and on. I love just reflecting on all of this. This program has been so nourishing for me in that regard, and it, it makes me excited to give back and share more. Another challenge, likely along the same lines, was something that seemed to have been a reoccurring theme. I actually think I mentioned this in the episode with Coach Lee Hopkins. I've had a few challenging experiences with not just my consulting client. There's one in, one in particular that we had a challenging communication And it still doesn't feel fully resolved. In that case, there seemed to be a misunderstanding about my role as the freelance worker. 
and this other person's expectation. Basically, our expectations were clashing. Our t- the timeline was perceived differently in each other's heads. Even though we had certain things in writing, the client kind of assumed some things that were beyond my boundaries. And I chose to clarify and create some boundaries. And it was so hard, mainly because I didn't feel like this person fully understood me, which is a huge trigger trigger for me. And I didn't know if they accepted me. So to this day, I still feel this insecurity of, did I piss off this client? Does this client not like me? Do they think I'm high maintenance? And I started to notice that high maintenance element coming up a lot. Another client, I noticed that with them, I felt at times rejected, like my ideas weren't being taken. And I was trying not to take it personally. That's something I've had to constantly practice because who I am personally and who I am professionally certainly overlap in some ways. But if I can create some boundaries and say what I need professionally maybe very different from what I would need personally in a similar situation. And finding the ability to be confident about something, even if deep down I don't feel that confident, I'm practicing my confidence by stating boundaries. That feels hard. For example, when somebody says, can you do it this way? If deep down doing it that way does not not work for me, I'm practicing stating that. If they want something done in a certain timeline and I already have other commitments, I'm practicing saying no because as I shared, the way my brain works, I need to structure my life in a certain way in order to thrive. And actually just sharing that out loud is building some confidence and clarity in this very moment for me. I think that I have a fear. I know I have a fear of being misunderstood and because I've spent so much of my life trying to please people and put myself second, it's uncomfortable for me when I say no to somebody. It's uncomfortable for me when I tell somebody that my needs require certain things that I'm afraid they won't give me or provide. That also just came up, not with a client, but with uh, a partnership that I've been working on. There was a couple really big misunderstandings that didn't reveal themselves to me until pretty late into the process of working together. And last night, actually, right right before all this hyperfixation on travel started, I recognized one of these issues. So it's super late on a Sunday night and I discovered a huge misunderstanding. And I paused and I thought, okay, what is my first instinct in terms of how to handle this. And it flowed out of me. I was right. I was constructing an email to address it and I just let it flow. And then I paused and reread it. I did some editing. I tried to make sure it was very clear and professional, as concise as possible. But it was still a detailed email. I felt like all those details were important. And I read it and thought, well, there's a chance that this will be misunderstood. There's a chance that this will be misinterpreted. There's also a chance that one of my fears will come to light, which is that I'm going to be perceived as high maintenance. And that has happened 
as a theme throughout a number of these professional dynamics. And sometimes I think, is it because I'm a woman? Is it a gender issue where commonly women are seen as high maintenance or bossy or bitchy or whatever else when they state their boundaries? I think so. I think patriarchally speaking, that's a very possible situation. Although one of the people in these dynamics I just referenced was another woman. So I don't know if that was fully the case, but it still came up. My fear of being too high maintenance and where does that come from? A lot of that is the fact that I felt different from other people and I have different needs. And for most of my life, people have said things to me like, well, nobody else has that need aside from you. Ooh, (laughs) just saying that out loud, it's rough. The amount of times I've either heard that almost verbatim or that's been conveyed to me where I've said, this is something I need. And it's been, my needs have been denied because nobody else has requested them. That's a huge source of pain for me. And to go throughout my life thinking, well, if nobody else needs it, there's something wrong with me. If no one else stays up this late, there's something wrong with me. If no one else sleepwalks and sleep talks, there's something wrong with me. If no one else procrastinates and does 11th hour stuff as, as much as me, you know, on and on. I could just list all of these instances in which I've either talked about it to other people and discovered they don't have these same issues or needs, or I've stated out loud something that I needed and have been met with blank stares or met with, sorry, we can't do that because you're the only one. This is why I feel so compelled and so passionate about this neurodivergence journey is because understanding that, but also knowing the accommodations I can actually sometimes legally ask for as a result of having special needs puts me in a place of empowerment, whereas I spent most of my life feeling the exact opposite. Like I'm not allowed to ask for these things. I'm not allowed to state these things. I'm not allowed to be a certain way because that's not how other people are. And I feel like a lot of people, neurodivergent or not, have experienced some version of that. That seems to be a common human challenge of facing something over and over again where you feel like the odd one out, where you feel rejected or misunderstood or mocked or bullied or whatever else. Because what you need or who you are is different. And so either we're conditioned to try to be similar to each other or it's a coping mechanism. And in alignment with that is that people pleasing of, okay, well, people seem unhappy with me when I ask for something that I'm just not going to ask anymore. And that way I can keep them happy. So I've noticed over the past week or so that I've had some challenges with clients and partners. I 
am trying not to get into this place of I'm the common denominator. Why is this all happening? You know, it's happened to me person after person after person. I think what's actually happening is I'm starting to find confidence in stepping outside of my comfort zone and asking for what I need and saying no and setting boundaries. So of course it's happening more frequently because this is new for me. And of course it feels uncomfortable because it's new for me. It's unfamiliar. And it's also bringing up the exact reasons why I haven't done those things, right? It's bringing up those old fears of, oh, well, when I asked for this 10 years ago and got rejected, I'm afraid that I'm going to get rejected again now 10 years later if I ask for the same thing, even though it's a completely different person, different situation. I'm a different person too. There's still that fear that the past will replicate. It's so interesting to bring these things to light. That's, you know, in this coaching mentality of just like noticing, processing, sharing. Hmm. Also being okay with silence too. I'm not sure how edited this is. Sometimes my editor removes a lot of the silent gaps, but I've noticed I have a tendency to want to fill in the silent gaps. Like I don't want there to be too much silence because I associate silence with discomfort and awkwardness. Like something's wrong. I need to step into it and, and be the person that makes everybody feel comfortable and keeps things flowing and good. But the coaching training is also teaching me to slow down, be okay with silence, be okay with this, that pacing and that space, giving myself and the people that I'm talking with, the client that I'm working with, this space for answers to be revealed. This is something I really want to practice in the podcast, especially with guests. One of the first things I learned in this coaching training is to not listen for an opportunity to speak again, for something else to say, to not be like thinking of the next thing I'm, I want to say while the other person is talking. I do that because I'm afraid of the silence or I'm afraid of like a missed opportunity. I'm afraid to make someone uncomfortable. I want to embrace the silence more and the pauses more and the pondering and see what else comes up. I'd love more opportunities to do that too. Like not just in my training, but in the rest of my life. It's super interesting. And that's part of mindfulness and meditation. That pausing, that reflection, pausing in general is big too. I'm really looking forward to a lot of reflection and pausing over this next few weeks of my road trip and the time I spend away. I mean, even when I'm actively doing things, if I'm in a different space, it puts my brain in a different space and I have a chance to be more mindful. And it's interesting how there's a lot of familiar elements of road tripping, but yet it's going to be completely different because it always is. Every moment is different. And I found myself having an interesting thought today, likely brought on by the continuous surge of COVID cases and now monkeypox. And it just feels like there's one thing after another and the recession. And there's a lot of challenges. 
And I had a moment thinking, what if I treated this next road trip as if it were my last, not in a morbid way, but I have no idea if I'm going on another road trip next year because so many factors could influence that. And that also puts me in a place of gratitude to do this road trip. The factors that have come into play. First of all, I am grateful that I was very proactive about saving money. I saved up a pretty big chunk of money for this trip. And that's not something I may have ever done before, especially this amount. Like when I think about it, part of me is like, oh, I wish I could just keep that in my savings account. (laughs) But I'm spending it very mindfully and spending it with joy for the next few months. And I just feel proud of myself for saving it up. You know, like taking those moments to acknowledge an accomplishment are so key. I feel grateful that I have a functioning car to go on this road trip. That's actually something in this moment I feel like I should double check. My my um, car warranty is something I kept meaning to look into. I, I can't remember. It might expire in the next few weeks. Makes me a little nervous. But my car is in good condition. I'm grateful for that. And right now I don't know if the weather will be on my side there's wildfires and things like that. So taking it day by day and choosing right now to be grateful for any day I do get to enjoy on the trip, but releasing expectation and attachment, that's an ongoing practice for me on my trips. Feeling gratitude for friends and family I'm going to see along the way. feels like almost every day for the past week, I've touched base with a new person and found out that they're available. I'm nervous, to be honest. Socializing feels very uncomfortable for me right now. I do not want to get sick. And monkeypox is... It just feels so frustrated about it and sad about it and scared. And I'm trying not to let that get in my way, but I'm also trying to be mindful of it and finding that balance is really key. So it feels already interesting to approach socializing for the next few months as I will be seeing all sorts of new people and going outside of my comfort zones in those cases. And there's just still a ton of unknowns and that in itself there's like a space there. There's a opportunity to pause and be mindful when you're faced with the unknown. And of course, we're constantly faced with the unknown. We never know what's going to happen. Nothing's truly predictable. But in this moment, it just feels like there's so much that I, I just don't know how it's going to unfold. Speaking of gratitude and and also referencing back last week's episode in which I was talking about my commonplace book, a journal that I've been adding to for five or six years. I do plan to read some more from that at some point. Not sure when, but there's a there's it's a long, long digital journal. And that's not even accounting for all the physical journals I have laying around that I've been wanting to go back through for my own reflection, but perhaps would be useful to you as well. 
I am thinking back in this moment of reflection of an episode I recorded right before I went on my last road trip in May 2022, just a few months ago. And I remember before I left for that trip, feeling really anxious, a lot of familiar emotions that I'm having right now. And I was trying to process the fact that travel can lend itself to all sorts of little things not going quite right. But that trip in May went almost flawlessly. I hope I can say the same after I do this next road trip, but I'm not attached to saying the same, trying to stay in that flow state. I'm also trying to learn from my international trip in which I had an issue, as I talked about when I went to Singapore on Philippine Airlines. This was last week's episode, I think, or two weeks ago. It's hard to tell because I've been doing so many episodes in advance. But the recent episode in which I talked about Singapore and Fiji, I mentioned how I got to the airport to check in for my flight to Singapore and found out that my bag was too heavy. And I was so caught off guard because I thought I knew everything. I thought I was fully prepared. I thought I was ready to go. And that didn't even occur to me as a possibility. And yet it happened. And even though it was incredibly frustrating and stressful and anxiety-inducing for me at that time, in hindsight, I look back and think, what a great lesson. One thing I had to research last night was crossing into the Canadian border. Can't even tell you the last time I went to Canada, especially now that I live in Los Angeles. It's quite a ways away, but I'm going into a few parts of Canada on this trip. And I didn't even occur to me to bring my passport. (laughs) Sounds so funny, but like, thank goodness I have it. I just came back from the other trip. So I packed it. I also discovered I need vaccination records for EV, vaccination records for myself. You can't go into Canada right now if you're not fully vaccinated. One of my friends who lives in Canada hasn't been able to leave the country because this person's not fully vaccinated. And I guess that was true when I was traveling um, to the other countries I went to recently. Most, if not all of them, I think required it. I took it for granted because I'm vaccinated and it's not a huge deal. But what I hadn't thought about is like the process in which you show it. So Canada, much like the Philippines and Singapore, they have like a special app and you fill it out in advance. You show it when you go across the border. My friend was telling me about like foods that aren't allowed into Canada, like all these extra considerations that hadn't even occurred to me that I, you know, I have to just go in that flow state of, of trusting that I've done enough research, but knowing it's possible I could get to the border and be faced with some issue. So yeah, I could do all this preparation. I will likely spend every single day leading up to my departure date having those moments of hyper-focus on trip planning. And I could total up all the time I've spent and it'll probably be like 20 plus hours, but I'm still going to come across some challenges. On that trip, actually, on my way back from Costa Rica, I lost a baseball hat of mine, I think I mentioned in one of these episodes. And at the time, I felt so disappointed with myself. But I was able to reflect back on something that happened last year on my road trip when I was in the Grand Tetons. Where is that? Wyoming. Yeah. 
was in Wyoming and I realized that I had left something behind at one of the Tesla charging stations. I had dropped like this window shade that I really like, like a, it's a piece of uh, gear that feels important, not crucial, but important to me, much like my hat. Hat wasn't crucial, wasn't that special, but I had an emotional connection to it. It felt important to me. Like I like wearing my baseball hat, don't want to go get another one. So these two similar things that happened almost a year apart. And when I was in Wyoming, it took me at least an hour to process the disappointment and frustration that I felt losing that window shade. I was just deeply bummed. I might've even cried. And I remember sitting there thinking, why is this so upsetting? It's just this little window shade. I had another one at home, but I was only on the second day of this several month long trip. And I was just thinking, oh, I, now I won't have this thing. And now in hindsight, I'm back. I got my replacement. It's not a big deal. Sure, it taught me to double check that I have everything before I leave. That was a, a good lesson. But the baseball hat, like, I don't know how it, I lost it. It was attached to one of my bags, not super securely, but I thought I was being very aware and I still lost that hat. And I even went back. So, since my, this happened on my flight back to Los Angeles from Costa Rica. And I was back at the exact same airport in the same area a few hours later to fly to Singapore. And so I thought, okay, I'm going to get there. I'm going to look all around. Maybe it's like lying on the floor somewhere in the airport in a corner. Maybe it's that lost and found. And I spent like 20 minutes looking at all the places it possibly could have been just thinking, maybe I'll find that hat. And I didn't. And it was kind of a bummer. But Unlike last year, I was able to let it go much faster. And now in this moment, a few weeks later, I'm just like in a place of acceptance. And I hope that the next time something like that happens, which is inevitable, I'll be able to get over it and flow with it even faster. But if I don't, I can come back full circle and just come into a place of acceptance and self-compassion and recognizing it's okay if I feel stressed or anxious. It's okay if I feel frustration or shame or any of those low emotions, like if I can come to that place of acceptance for whatever I'm feeling and just allowing it, that feels really good to me. That's so comforting. That's so helpful. And it also puts me in a place of practice where I can do that for others too. It's interesting, like this episode, I was kind of dreading it, felt nervous, I felt a little off, feel tired, but I got into states of flow with this episode that I wasn't expecting, and hopefully you felt some of that, but if not, that's okay too, right? Like, it's all okay. You know what I'm really excited about on completely, well, I guess I'm not super unrelated, but when I said the phrase, it's okay, it reminded me of one of the favorite books I've read in the past year, It's Okay to Not Be Okay, I think it's the title. It's about grief. Oh, phenomenal book. Taught me so much. 
I cannot wait to read more. Like I'm like getting one of those big cheeky grins right now thinking about when I was reading that book, I was laying in the hammock at my parents' house on a beautiful late summer, early fall evening. And I hadn't thought about that in so long. I've been so focused on just getting across the country that I haven't even thought about some of those blissful moments. And who knows if they'll happen, right? None of that's guaranteed. But it's likely that I will be in that hammock in the next month, reading a book, just savoring it. I can't wait. I always like to end the episodes with gratitude for you listening and taking all this in, but an invitation for you to do two things. One is to reflect on things that are coming up for you. Even if you can't fully relate to me, there's got to be so many things that come up for you. And two is if you ever feel like sharing those things, I would be delighted to hear them. Truly hearing from you is delightful. And if you want to do that, there's a few different ways. One is through email. Two is through social media, direct message. If for some reason I don't respond, that means one of two things. One is that I'm overwhelmed and it often can take me a while to get back to people. Two is that somehow I missed it. So if you ever want to follow up with me on an email or direct message, please never hesitate. I would appreciate that. And, or you can join Beyond Measure, which I mentioned. It's that safe, private community of people that are interested in these topics, who love tuning into their own self-awareness and noticing life and being mindful. And we'll be doing some of the assessments I mentioned. We have beautiful, open conversations. It's so much like this podcast, but in a live setting. So if you're interested, I'll link to that in the show notes at wellevator.com. Again, that's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. Anything I mentioned today will be included there. Thanks to my wonderful team that supports me with this show. And if you choose not to reach out, that is absolutely okay too. I just want to say one more time, Thank you for listening. I'm wishing you all the very best. I'll be back this Friday with that episode with Alexandra, as I mentioned, assuming I'm on schedule. Things are always subject to change, but I believe this Friday is with Alexandra and I can't wait to hear what you think about that. So looking forward to that. And until next time, wishing you all the very best. Bye. Thanks for listening and getting out of your comfort zone with us today. For show notes and more high-performance resources to help you thrive, go to WellEvator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com.